now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Lainey Dolphin. Lainey is an author who has been teaching dream analysis since 2005. She has a bi-monthly column in both Oprah Daily and Psychology Today, and she founded the Dream Interpretation Center in 1997. Lainey, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me, Jeff. How did you get involved in dream interpretation from the beginning? Okay, let's talk about that. Well, I'm 69 and when and I got married at 19. Wow, 50 years ago. And uh, just after my 21st birthday, actually two weeks after my 21st birthday, I gave birth to the first of my four daughters. And she was born with Down syndrome and very um, premature, very premature. So I had some time to think. So this is um, 48 years ago now. And 48 years ago, most people didn't take their Down's baby home like they do today. And so my parents refused to advise us one way or another because they wanted me to know if you uh, take Tina home, we support you. And if you decide you want to have her placed, we also support you. And so a doctor, a GP who was in our family for longer than I was born, advised me to give Tina up and um, I followed his advice And about two or three months later, understandably, I became pretty depressed. And I was very fortunate because a brilliant Freudian psychoanalyst had just moved from New York to Montreal. And I was very lucky to obtain the care of him. And so in my early 20s, I wasn't so well able to articulate my feelings, but I'm a dreamer. And I have always been a dreamer with very vivid dreams. And I used to go to the sessions with the shrink, always arriving with a dream. And that was the first place that I learned that actually we are problem solving in our dreams. The solution to what's bugging you, of course, arrives in your unconscious before it gets to your conscious. And so Every single dream holds some kind of solution. And uh, it was a a series of what I call the freight elevator dreams that I had after I was in psychoanalysis for about three months. I started, I'll just say it quickly. I started having a series of freight elevator dreams just to show you how exactly sophisticated and brilliant the unconscious mind is all these dreams may have been different because they were related to whatever was going on that particular week, but it was always a freight elevator. And for me, a freight elevator, the picture of it is my way of saying to myself that I don't feel like I have my ground. Why? Because the space is very big and the floor is wobbly. And so One of my favorite ways, which you'll learn some ways how the solutions are presented. 
My personal favorite way is to take the story of the dream outside into your waking life, solve the puzzle out there, and then go back into the dream. And so it's funny because I just uh, taught at Concordia University yesterday. And I often use this dream at the beginning of the class. And I go around asking different people, what is the solution to the freight elevator dream? And I'll get one person who says, get out. (laughs) And someone else will say, press the stop button. And somebody else will say, press the call for help button. And all the answers that you get from all different people, including everybody in your audience, makes a statement about who you are and how you respond. But each of us responds differently. And for me, the solution to the freight elevator dream is to bring people into the elevator with me. Because by doing that, I'm putting weight on the floor so it stops wobbling. And the other thing bringing people in the elevator It closes the space. Now I'm not in a big wide space all by myself with a wobbly floor. But the most interesting thing is that the reason I was feeling at that time in my life that I didn't feel my ground was because this business about giving Tina up, it was not working for me. I I couldn't relate to having given her up and not knowing where she is, who she is, so that that solution was not fitting for me. And when I think about a freight elevator, even at 69 years old today, with my father long gone, I still think about my father. Because when I was a little girl, on Sundays, he used to take me sometimes to the warehouse that he owned. And there was a freight elevator there. And it used to scare the heck out of me. But I was always okay because I was with my dad. And so my unconscious linked me just like a sophisticated database, or I mean, I'm over 50, so I call it a filing cabinet. But the point is, it linked me not by accident to a freight elevator, which links me to my father. And those were the people that I needed to invite into the elevator, my parents, which is what I did. I went to them and I said, I'm not comfortable not knowing Tina. I want to know who she is and will you come with me? And so they were the solution to the freight elevator dream. And although I never brought Tina home, she passed away five years ago, by the way, I never did bring her home, but she was a huge part of my life and the three daughters that followed her as well. And so that is an example about what problem solving in your dreams looks like. And sometimes we get a very direct solution, like Elias Howe, who invented the sewing machine, was really close but he couldn't figure out what to do about the needle. And he went to sleep and dreamt that he was captured by cannibals who stuck him into a pot of boiling water. And every time he tried to get out, they would poke him back into the water with their spears. And in the dream, he looked down and realized that there was a hole at the tip of every spear. And the hole wasn't up here. It was down here. 
And the minute he woke up, the sewing machine was invented because he realized that he needed to put the hole down there. So that's an example of a very direct solution. You know, and Paul McCartney thinking of uh, yesterday in uh, the music, in the dream, that's another example of a creative solution that arrived quite directly into the dream. And the freight elevator dreams give you an example of all the work that you can do with a dream to realize. And so after that, somebody at the university here in Montreal said, if you love Freud, you're going to love Frederick Pearls. And so I went on to become a Gestalt counselor and I learned how Frederick Pearls looked at dreams. And because I am insanely intense when I like something, I'm a thorough personality. So then I went to the Alfred Adler Institute and I studied Alfred Adler and dream analysis. And then I became a member of the C.G. Jung Society and the International Association for the study of dreams. So you are speaking to a very eclectic woman when it comes to dream analysis. And from all of these fathers of psychology, one thing I can still never figure out is why they were fighting. They shouldn't have been arguing because all of them are correct. It just depends on who's the dreamer and what's the dream. That's what it depends on. Because if I'm talking to my husband, Andy, he doesn't want to do Freud with me. <laughs> he just wants to know. He wants to stay on the surface and he wants to understand why did I have that dream and what's the solution that my unconscious is presenting? And if you ask me about a dream, I'm going to want to know that also, the first level. What's going on this week in my life that triggered this morning's dream right up on the surface. And I love that because I'm a first things first kind of girl. So I first want to know what triggered the dream. And then I'll find out, oh, it's an argument I had with one of the girls, or it's uh, an interview coming up that I'm feeling anxious about, or I want to lose weight. So I want to know what's the subject that triggered the dream. And then um, I'm very, I want to look deeper. I want to do Jung. I want to do Freud. I want to do all of it. And so what I did is over these last 50 years, I developed a six point of entry. I call it point of entry system that anybody can use to understand why did you have that crazy dream last night? Where did it come from? And I'm just going to tell you, these are the six points of entry. So if somebody wants to get a pen, they can write it down. I was going to say, before we get into that, and I want to definitely get into that, when someone tells you a dream, are you helping them analyze their dream or are you analyzing their dream for them? No, no. It's, uh, it's the opposite of a psychic experience. It's a psychological experience. So a psychic, you tell them your dream and they tell you why you had it. I don't do that. 
You tell me your dream and I know all the questions to ask you. (laughs) And that's what I'm going to be teaching you today because that has to do with the points of entry. And so I'm going to ask you the questions and you're going to be the one who tells me why you had that dream. And once I know why you had that dream, then it's easy for us to look back in the dream and figure out what the solution is. All right, let me get in one more question. Are there certain dreams that everybody has or a lot of people have that are common over and over, like being stuck in an elevator, having all your teeth fall out? Right, and I'm going to choose the teeth falling out dream because I I just love that image. And it's true. It's an archetypal image that Jung would have talked about. We all experience it. And the thing about teeth falling out is that all through time, no matter where you are in the world, or no matter what time it is, when you're six or seven years old, your teeth are going to fall out. It's something that we have no control over. And it's something that is the inevitable. So I know a guy who was dreaming that his teeth were falling out because inside, even though he wasn't facing it during the day, inside, he knew that his wife was leaving. He knew the relationship was coming to an end. It was something that he had no control about and something that was the inevitable. And so in his uh, dictionary, his private, as unique as your fingerprint dictionary, teeth falling out had to do with him having no control over something that was the inevitable. And so he saw it coming from afar. Now, then I know other people who dream that their teeth are falling out because they have something to say that they're not saying. And you know that expression, spit it out already? Well, that's spit it out already. Mm. The teeth, it's an, an encouragement It's a rehearsal for you to get ready to say something that you're worried about saying. So your unconscious is encouraging you and even giving you an actual rehearsal to spit the thing out. And then there's other people who dream their teeth are falling out because they're turning 30 or 40 or 50. They're going through some kind of transition because I'm sure you'll agree with me that when we lose our teeth at six or seven, it's like our last peak at childhood. And now it we're into another phase. And that's the reason why you cannot look it up in a book. That's the reason why I wrote my books because it doesn't matter if it's teeth falling out or a cat or a dog or whatever it is that appears in your dream, every single memory and association that you personally have ever had since you're born is right there inside that database or filing cabinet. And when you want to say something to yourself, the database opens up and you get to pick and choose the pictures or feelings or places that describe something you are trying to say to yourself. Really, when I think about it, I'm much more a person who is teaching the language of metaphor than I am a dream analyst. Hmm. It's all about the metaphor. It's interesting that you said that your brain has access to all your memories 
and your dreams have that access as well. So sometimes I'll dream about people I don't ever recall meeting. Is it possible that my brain is creating a person out of thin air or it's just I don't remember seeing a person maybe walking by in the mall or whatever and that's where it's drawing that memory from? Right. And and that's um, that's a good question. It's funny, while you were talking, I was thinking, oh, my God, I want to say this to him. And of course, it went flying out of my out of my head. But um, it'll come let's back. Do, let's yeah, it will come back. Let's do the points of the points of entry. Sure. Because um, I know what I wanted to do. I wanted to go deep. And um, actually, I'm going to come back to the points of entry because you went deep. So I'm going deep. All right. When we're born, we arrive in the world whole. We come here with a plethora of potential. I call it potential. We can be shy. We could be assertive. We can be a hero, a chicken, selfish, giving. Maybe you were the comedian in the family. Maybe you're a person who's more serious. So we come in with all of this unbelievable potential and possibilities and the people that bring us up through no fault of their own. I mean, I'm a parent. We don't get up in the morning and say, how am I going to screw this kid up today? (laughs) Nobody wants to do that to their child, but we come from where we come from and we transfer what we learned. And so um, we become, we get the message from our parents that it's better to be one way than another way. For example, and this is not, it doesn't go for everybody, but it's a great example of a typical situation that if you grew up in a home with siblings, you probably got the message that it's not okay to be selfish because you hear sentences like, go look after your brother, share your toys with your sister, and your whole waking life experience is all about sharing your parents' attention. And so I like to call these different parts, what we do with them, exercising, because we are exercising a muscle the exact same way that we would in a dream, uh, in a gym. So we become over-exercised in giving, in accommodating. And that's an example of all those people out there, including myself, who don't know how to say no because they're more accustomed to saying yes and accommodating. And the only problem with that, because there is a problem with any of the behaviors that our parents taught us is the right way or the wrong way. The only problem is called life. Life throws you so many different situations that you can't, you, you don't want to have that same boring knee-jerk reaction that you had when you were six or seven or eight years old. You don't want to still be doing that at 60 unless it fits the situation. So in a conversation with me, which you're about to find out right now, there's no such thing as good or bad. There's no such thing as right or wrong. For me, it's all about am I responding to today's situation and person in the most appropriate way. And the most appropriate way might not be what my parents taught me. It might be an under-exercised, more shadowy part of myself. 
And the example I give most often here is, um, um, is that I learned to become over-exercised in shutting up and under-exercised in speaking up because I was bought up, brought up, uh, I was going to say, by European parents. That's not really true. My mom was born in Montreal, but it doesn't matter. She was brought up by Europeans. My father was from Romania. He would have taken the shirt off his back for you, but boy, did he have a temper. And so he he could easily be yelling at me when I was seven or eight years old. I was not allowed to look at him and say, uh, excuse me, I don't like how you're talking to me because I would have landed up in my bedroom. That was considered disrespectful. And that's the reason why I became under-exercised in speaking up and over-exercised in shutting up. So if I go to my bank manager this week because I want to borrow some money and I don't like his tone of voice, my knee-jerk over-exercised part it's going to be the appropriate response because I want money from the man. So I'm not going to start into some kind of argument with him. But if Andy, on the other hand, my sweet husband, who, by the way, would also take the shirt off his back for you, and by the way, also has a rotten temper. <laughs> if he opens up a big mouth to me, it's not appropriate for me to stand there shaking in my boots like I'm seven years old and he's my father because this guy is my equal and I need to be able to tell him where to get off. And so I need to access my voice. So I am never here to tell you that change is easy. I am here to tell you that change is possible because uh, 30 years ago, I was 40. And when I was 40, I was studying at the Alfred Adler Institute. I'm leading up to answer your question, by the way. Here comes the answer. Um, when I was 40, I was studying at the Adler Institute. And that was the year my father passed away. And it was also the year that I started finding my voice. And so one night, Andy opened up that big mouth to me because he was aggravated about something. And what did I do? My knee-jerk reaction. I stood there saying absolutely nothing. So I'm all the way over there in my reaction, silence. And I go to sleep and I dreamed about an aunt of mine who at the time was already passed on for about 15 years. But using a symbol's point of entry, I will come back and tell you the six points of entry, one of them is the symbols. And so I used my aunt asking myself about the symbol. What are the first two or three things that come to my mind when I think about her? And the first thing that comes out of my mouth even today is she had such a big mouth. If she didn't like you, she had like no problem telling you. And also if she loved you, she would also tell you. She must be one of the most expressive, relaxed people about her thoughts and feelings that I ever met. And so because I'm all the way over there saying nothing to him, I'm not going to dream about somebody who's a little bit assertive. It's my shadow. It's my shadowy, under-exercised part that I won't even hardly recognize. 
And so I choose somebody who's all the way over there. And the reason my unconscious does that is because it's trying to pull me somewhere into the middle. Because like I said, change is not easy, but it most certainly is possible. And the way that change begins is by the next morning, my realizing her appearance in the dream, and she's the solution. I said to Andy, Andy, you were yelling at me last night. Could you please not do that? It makes me feel like I'm a kid with my father again. So that was my first time in the gym, exercising my voice. But that was 30 years ago. And it's, I've been working that muscle for 30 years. And so when I have something to say to somebody, especially in the family, I don't cry anymore. I don't yell anymore. I say it the same as I'm speaking with you, the same, because I've exercised that muscle. I'm very comfortable with it. And the, these kind of uh, taking back, it's taking back all the behaviors that we were taught are not allowed. Take them all back because life happens and you want to be in a very powerful position. And you are in a very powerful position when something comes at you, what some kind of life situation. I mean, I've had, uh, I had colon cancer. It could be cancer. It could be the birth of a handicapped child. It, you know, it could be a second marriage. It could be, you want to quit that job, whatever it is that's happening in your life. I want to give you a big bag of responses that you start to become comfortable with because you're in a very powerful position when you're not an I should have said person, when you can reach into a grab bag of different possibilities that you've exercised and you can access. And the, the way that you become powerful is because nobody knows for sure how you're going to respond. Like in my family, my siblings uh, probably had the idea and my friends as well, that you could say something to her that's uncomfortable. She's not going to answer you back, but now they don't think that anymore because so it's always this, um, a great position to be in when nobody knows really for sure what they might expect coming, coming back. So the person that you don't recognize, the person that you did not recognize in your dream is some aspect of you that you hardly even recognize yet because it's some part of you, like all the parts of the dream are all parts of you. You're the director, you're the producer, you are all the actors. And so it's your stage and, and you are the creator of the dream. And so what happens is the ego, you take, typically you take the part in the dream that you feel the most comfortable with and you give out all the other parts of yourself, even those that you don't really recognize, you give them out to different people, places, and things. That's the answer to your question. It's a part of you that you don't really recognize.
All right. So let's go into the six points of entry. Okay, great. And the reason I call them points of entry is because doing dream analysis is exactly the same as doing a puzzle. You try one piece, that piece doesn't fit, take it out, try another piece. And that's the process. I always feel even 50 years later, even today, when I hear a dream, I feel like I'm in the dark with the dreamer looking for the light because it's always like, oh my goodness, what is that? And so the points of entry are like puzzle pieces. They are the feelings, the play on words and puns, because we use play on words and puns constantly in our sleep, just like we do in our waking life. The action, um, the repetition, uh, the plot, and what did I leave out? The feelings, the action, the play on words and puns, the repetition, the plot, and the symbols. Those are the six points of entry. So when I hear a dream, and when you hear a dream, you will definitely get attracted to one point of entry or another. Because that's what happens when you hear a dream. I mean, if I hear a dreamer say to me, I was trying to run, but my feet were not working. That's an action point of entry. Because the dreamer's trying to get somewhere. And they're having trouble getting somewhere because their feet are stuck. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zoom in on the action. Um, and sometimes it's a repetition. Like... Um, I'm a, a I'm a radio girl. I do a lot of radio and I love it. And a lot of the time, the reason I love it is because I'm probably in my pajamas sitting right here at my desk with a cup of tea. And I love the anonymity of the radio. But um, my first book came out in uh, 02. And I was invited to be on Good Day New York after the Christmas holidays. And that was going to be my first time on TV. And I was scared. And so all during the Christmas holidays, two things happened. One is all my dreams took place in this huge space. And that was my unconscious getting me accustomed to being in a studio, in a television studio, like a big wide space. By the time I went to New York and I walked into the studio, I was like, been there, done that. Because I had already been doing that for a month in my dreams, having that scene around me. And um, then I was also like very close to the end of the Christmas holidays. One night I had a dream about a ghost. And what does that mean? In my dictionary, it means I'm scared. I'm scared and I have no control over ghost. And then later on in the night, I dreamed that I was standing on the abyss of a cliff, looking over a cliff. And what does that mean? It means I'm scared. But it's a little bit different because in the ghost, I have no control. But the abyss of a cliff, I've got the cliff behind me at my back. So maybe there's nothing in front of me. And that's what's making me nervous which it was because I was going to New York. So it was what was ahead of me that was scaring me, but I had at least some support at my back. And then in the morning, 
I dreamed about my grade five teacher. And what does that mean? It means I'm scared. And so I'm still saying I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared, using three completely different pictures. And they also have different intonation because my grade five teacher embarrassed me one morning in front of the whole class. And I ran home at recess to tell my mom, who then came back to school with me at lunch and blasted that teacher. So I went from a ghost to the abyss of a cliff to the teacher, a situation where I was totally looked after. It was all, I got scared, but it was all looked after. And that's what it looks like as you're problem solving. Because by the time I went to New York, I was fine. I wasn't scared anymore. I did it all in my dreams. Do you think all dreams are problem solving? Yeah, I do. What about if you're at a point in your life where everything seems to be good and you're having good days and you're happy? Well, we all being human, we have, of course, we have days and phases and times where things are really going well. But for some reason, it's called being human. <laughs> There's always something going on that we are working on. It could be your weight. It could be the job that you're not sure you want to be in. It could be your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your job. There's always something going on. There is. What about when you wake up from a dream and it's a happy dream and it's a great dream? And then, you, you, then you're angry because you can't get back to bed and get back into that dream. Get but, back that dream, yeah. But what, ty- what do those dreams mean? Well, what about the man who during COVID uh, went to sleep and dreamed that he won $250 million in a lottery? And so that's the same thing for me. That's the same thing as a a hot, sexy dream. Because sometimes when you forget what it feels like to feel good, like that man during COVID was just could not pick himself up. And so he gave himself the lottery dream. And it's called take that feeling and run with it. He reminded himself what it feels like to feel good. It's like a horny dream. You have a dream like that. I mean, it could be other reasons, but one of the reasons that you might have a sexual dream is because you forgot what it feels like to feel good. You forgot you're horny. And so the dream is there to remind you to bring it back. Yes, definitely. At this point in my life, I don't feel like I really have nightmares anymore. I kind of classify them as stressful dreams. Right. And we have more, you uh, the, you classify them as stressful dreams instead, as opposed to a nightmare is because the reason why children have more nightmares than adults do is because they have less control. And the thing is, this is, I was talking about being human. So let's talk about being human. Being human means that in our waking life, we lie, we deny, we avoid, and we sweep. That's called welcome to the human race, because that's what we do. Somebody hurt your feelings, 
But you say, no, no, you know what? Didn't really bother me. I know she has problems in her life, so I didn't take it too personally. That's what the waking life does. It avoids and it sweeps and even lies. But your unconscious never lies to you. So whatever it is, it's we are self-regulating organisms. And so it's the exact same thing as if you have to go to the washroom. You can hold it in, hold it in, hold it in. But at a certain point, you have to go. And so that that's how it creates a balance. So if somebody hurt you or something's bothering you and you're avoiding it and you're not talking about it, you're denying, that's the same thing as holding it in and holding it in. And then you're going to have a nightmare or what you're calling a stress dream. And two things are accomplished. One is a balance is created. And the second thing is if your unconscious got you good, then it succeeds in grabbing your attention. And that's what it wants. It wants you to take the interior conversation called the dream, and it wants you to bring the interior conversation out into waking life. Because as soon as you start talking about what's bugging you with other people in your waking life, it's called brainstorming. And you're not just going to get your opinion. That's where you're going to start getting feedback from people who you love and trust. And and then the real balance is going to be created to help you better better make decisions. And so just to finish with the children, the reason why they have more nightmares is because they have less opportunity to express what they really want to say. Because it's not always allowed to really say how you're really feeling. And so they'll, they're holding it in. And that's why they'll get more nightmares, because they have less control over the situations around them. They can't say, okay, I'm leaving the house now. I'll see you in a half an hour when I cool down. <laughs> so are you saying or do you think that nightmares are a good thing? They are an amazing thing. They are a healthy thing. There's no such thing as a bad nightmare. And in 50 years, I have never yet once had a dreamer who understands why they had that nightmare think that it's a bad dream anymore. They say, of course, of course I had that dream. So I want to tell you a couple of uh, dreams before I'm cognizant of the time. And I want to make sure that I give you some examples that cater to the different points of entry. You got the repetition by the ghosts, the cliff and the grade five teacher. And uh, what else did we talk about? Uh, Well, let, let me give you a dream, the piglet dream. Everybody loves this dream about a woman who dreamt that she has a piglet stuck to her breast. That's the whole dream. And so for me, when I heard that dream, I went straight for an action point of entry. Wow, you had a piglet stuck to your breast. You must have been running around like a maniac trying to get it off you. Because we all know that if you had a piglet stuck to your breast, that's what you would be doing. And she said, no, actually, I'm just looking at it. And so 
before you even know the dream or anything about them, we already know that either the dream is mirroring her underreaction to a waking life situation, or maybe her dream is giving her a rehearsal, kind of like uh, Le Mans. You know the Le Mans method before a woman gives birth and they have your um, your, your um, partner squeeze your arm and actually hurt you to uh, while you're thinking about the ocean or something pleasant because it teaches you to stay still with the pain um, and not focus on it. So maybe her dream is that. And because I know it's triggered by something that either happened to you yesterday or something that you thought about yesterday, I asked her, what did you do yesterday? And she said, oh, I went on Sherbrooke Street, hanging around and shopping with my sister. And we ran into all so many different People And I asked her, could you give me an example? Who did you run into? And one of the people that she mentioned was her ex-boyfriend. And so I asked her, using a symbol's point of entry, like I did with my aunt, what are the first two or three things that come to your mind about that person? And first thing she said was, he's such a dependent little pig. Hmm. That's what she said. And that is an example of play on words and puns. We use it constantly. And so now we know why there's a piglet there, because she caught it too. The minute she heard herself say that, she knew immediately, what's it about the piglet? And that was what I asked. What happened? Well, he's making a party for himself. And he asked me to cook the food for the party. And I said, wow, that's so nice that you're still friends with your ex, that not only are you going to the party, but you're going to cook the food. And she said, I don't want to cook the food for the party. I don't want to go to the party. I don't like this guy. I don't want to have anything to do with him. And I said, and did you say that? Did you tell him? No, my sister was there and he had a bunch of friends and we were in the middle of the street. And I didn't feel comfortable responding. So that's why the dream happens, because the dreamer didn't speak. And what I said is, well, I guess you have something to get off your chest. Mm. Yeah. So you see that the her unconscious captures the fact that she says he's a dependent little pig by creating a piglet stuck to her breast And that goes along with the word dependent. It also fits perfectly with the fact that he asked her to cook the food. And of course, it also fits with getting something off your chest. And uh, as you know, because I know you have kids, when a woman is nursing, the expression they use is to express your milk. Mm -hmm. So she needed to express herself. And as soon as she left my office, you know who got a phone call. (laughs) (laughs) At what point should we start analyzing our dreams daily or when we have a dream that's really bothering us? And let me add to that. At what point does someone need to seek out someone like you? Well, if you seek out someone like me, which I welcome all of you to do, then you get the actual 
uh, experience, the actual experience. And once you get the experience and you get that aha, like people call that aha, and it's because you know deep inside you when, when you got it, you get it. And so that's why it's fun to do it with a professional, but it doesn't mean that you can't do it by yourself because of course you can do it by yourself. And, you know, we're not working on 15 things at a time. We're working on one or two issues at a time that probably are appearing several places like this guy, uh, Stephen, I'll just say quickly, he's dreaming that he's going up a ladder. He's trying to get up a ladder and it's his college roommate that's up on the top of the ladder encouraging him up and he's having trouble because there's paper everywhere. He cannot get to the top of the ladder because of the paper. And the dream happened because there was paper all over Stephen's desk that he wanted to get to. And his friends the day before asked if he would go see a movie with them. And he's an over-accommodator who doesn't know how to say no. And so he said yes when he didn't really want to do that. And so that's how the dream happened. And the friend, his roommate, up at the top of the ladder, when I asked about what kind of personality that person is, he said he's the most selfish take care of me first kind of guy I ever met. And so he needed to access that potential that he had to speak up and which he did to say, I'm not going to go to a movie with you guys tonight because there's paper all over my desk. And so we're, and I'm going to pay attention to that. So that was Stephen practicing what it looks like to be selfish, to think of himself instead of accommodating um, other other people. So Stephen was working on not being afraid to be selfish. And so probably if you look in his life on a particular week or two, you'll probably find three or four situations where he's also having trouble saying no. And, And that's the answer to your question. How often should we analyze our dreams? The answer to the question is you're not working on 15 things at once. If you're probably working on one or two issues at a time. So if you catch a dream and analyze it once every two or three weeks, it's probably good. But there are some people that love doing it more often. It's up to you. What about repetitive dreams? Like I commonly have dreams where I'm running and fighting people in dreams. It's not the exact same dream, but it's like a common theme. And that's not every night. It's just, you know, once a month, twice a month, I'll have that type of dream. Does that symbol mean anything to you? Um, well, what you you said you're you I'm writing quickly. You said that you're running. It's like I'm running and fighting people, stuff like that, like through a city or alleys and. Right. So, in other words, you're being chased. Right. You're running because somebody's chasing you, and that's your work, your pressure, your your wife who wants you to do something. It's like all the pressure chases us. And when you have that dream, because the theme is recurring, the theme is recurring. But the question is, why did you have that dream this week? 
Why did you have it today? Because a recurring dream for me, it's the exact same thing as a favorite expression. And so my favorite expression is not, oh, darn it, but we're on the air. So I'm going to say it's, oh, darn it. And I could have said, oh, darn it, when I was 15 years old, because I missed the bus. And I could have said, oh, darn it, when I was 30, because I passed by my desk and papers dropped all over the floor. And I could have said, oh, darn it, today, when I realized, oh, my goodness, it's almost time for the interview. So I'm still saying, oh, darn it, oh, darn it, oh, darn it. And that's what a recurring dream is. You plant a picture of running through a city with people chasing you. And that is your way of saying to yourself, wow, I'm feeling under pressure. I, I'm, I'm pressured to feel some work getting done. Or, or maybe you're a procrastinator, although I don't think you are. Even in the short time I've met you, I already see that you're not a procrastinator. But in case you were, maybe it's the people chasing you that helps you get up and move and get to it. So sometimes we need the people chasing us. All right. I know this may not be your specialty in dream work, but where do lucid dreams fit in all of this? Well, a lucid dream is when you become semi-conscious in the dream. When you wake, kind of wake up inside the dream and you realize that you are dreaming. And the thing about lucidity is that then you can manipulate the dream. You can turn around and face all those people that are chasing you and say, what the heck is going on? Could you, do you mind? Could you stop chasing me? And so you get an opportunity to face your pursuer, which is a typical example that people use. But for me, lucidity, I don't, I don't uh, care if you're lucid in the dream or if you become lucid because you have analyzed a dream and you understand, like Stephen, that you want to tell, like when Stephen picked up the phone to tell his friends, I'm not going to a movie with you, that was Stephen being lucid. And he got the lucidity from understanding the dream. He did not get lucid inside the dream. And that's the difference. So for me, I don't really mind how you get lucid or how you use your lucidity. For me, it's much more important that you are lucid. And so for some of us, it's easy to lucid dream. And that's what happens for them. And they get to uh, test out problem solving, like in your chasing dream, if you became lucid, your way of working with it might be to turn around and face your pursuer. But if you did not become lucid, it, it still would be encouraging you, like using Jung's active imagination, I could ask you to turn around and look, I could ask you that tomorrow even though we're talking about a dream that you had a few nights ago. And I could ask you, what do you think is chasing you? Like, what pressure are you under today? And as soon as you answer me, you have now become lucid during the day. Has anyone ever told you that their dream was just as real as reality being awake? And if so, what does that mean? 
Um, well, yes, that happens all the time because some of us are very vivid dreamers. Mm. And it's all, uh, you're, what you're just talking about now is the degree, the degree to which we use, we dream, the degree to which we remember. And so that that's kind of what you're asking about. And it doesn't matter. We're still, the dream is still an interior conversation between your conscious and your unconscious. And the unconscious goal is always good. The unconscious always wants you to talk about, to bring the conversation out to waking life. That's what your unconscious always wants the best for you. I like that. So if you're having a nightmare, the end result is your body's always trying to get a positive ending from it. Uh, you, it's trying to get your attention mm -hmm. because once it has your attention, there's material to work with about what you can do in your situation to make it easier to help yourself along a little bit. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's because somebody who you know is kind to themselves appears in your dream because you need to access that ability that you have to be nice to yourself. You know, sometimes it's about that. Sometimes the dream reminds you of a fable or a story or a television show. And you, there's something in that plot that you need to uh, get in touch with at this particular time. It's never random, never random, never an accident. All right, Lainey, I have more questions to ask you, but I'm running out of time. So I at least want to get to this before we go. You have two books, Have a Great Dream, book one and two. Can you tell us a little bit about them and where to get them? Okay. Well, my site has two names. It gets you to the same place. You can find me at haveagreatdream.com, the same name as the books. And you can also find me at thedreamanalyst.com. Gets you to the same place. Book one looks like that. Have a great dream, book one. It's only 100 pages or 110 pages. And I'm including the pictures. And it teaches you exactly how to do it. It teaches you the method of the six points of entry and gives you very clear examples of how to decode why you had that dream last night. And that's why it's called the overview. And book two is called A Deeper Discussion. Have a great dream, A Deeper Discussion. And it's called that because I take you a lot deeper in the book about all there is about the growth that we can do within our within ourselves. And when you go to my site, there's all kinds of things to do and choose from there. You can uh, buy the books, the eBooks, they're all for sale on my site. And I have links to where you can buy the paperback if that's what you prefer. And I give courses and all that. You, you'll find it all there. Do you have anything else that you're working on that you want us to know about? Well, let, let me just say, it's I, I called, um, registered the name Adreaminar. And Adreaminar is just like a seminar, but it's all about dreams. And I love speaking for corporations and teaching creative problem solving through dreams. 
And so that's my thing right now is I'm moving bigger into speaking engagements. And so um, I hope that everybody who's watching will check me out too. And what about parties? Like that's a really unusual, I am a really unusual guest to have at a party or a fundraiser or any kind of um, situation like that where you need a speaker. And you can also get all that right through my site. Is there anywhere else where people can find out more about you? I'm so happy you asked me that question. Um, Well, I have a, a good following on Instagram and I love people to follow me there. It's L-A-Y-N-E underscore the dream analyst. And I am also on YouTube and I don't have a following like you have, but I am on YouTube and there's some films there. And that is also called the dream analyst. That's how to find me on YouTube and also on Instagram. Okay. Before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Change is constant. That's the one thing that we can depend on. And if I had five minutes, I have another thing that I'd rather give, but it takes about five minutes. So all right, <laughs> we'll, we'll just stick with the change is constant. Well, thank you for that message. And I hope you will come back sometime because I have a lot more questions and it was fun. And I think that there's a lot more to talk about. There's always more to talk about. It's the truth. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're lovely. Thank you. Easy guy to talk to. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And you were great. And I wish you the best. You too. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.